God is good. God is so good. You know, and in the midst of all of the lockdown challenges, I think it's good for us to declare that He is good. And, and one of the ways that goodness manifests itself is that He's constantly wanting to shape and form us to become more like Jesus. That's what He's always wanting to do. He's always, he wants to take you with all your weirdness and He wants to help make you a bit more like Jesus. And you're not going to be the full package, but together as a whole body, we are the whole package. Because all of it, not like one of us can't represent him fully, but a whole lot of little Jesus has all together start to get a, we start to get a glimpse of what he's like and all of our uniqueness and weirdness and all the rest of it. And so I just love that through lockdown and through, you know, not having these sorts of things, God was still at work shaping and forming us. And that was uh, my story, as I shared really honestly over, um, over lockdown. There was three parts to my lockdown. The first part was rubbish. And I'm being very restrained because we're streaming. Uh, but uh, it was poo-poo times. It was just, it was really Captain Average. It was not fun. It was, um, it was I was flat. I was struggling. Uh, it was tough. It was hard. It was very humbling. And, uh, and so then the next three weeks were like, uh, four weeks or so, were uh, deeply reflective. And I was like, whoa, how did I, like, whoa, how did that happen? What's going on here? Like, what has this experience exposed uh, in terms of brokenness in my own life? And so there was four weeks of a lot of journaling. And I, I loved on Wednesday nights, there was a little journaling tribe of us that would get together and I would <laughs> So, all right, we're going to journal this. And then it was all just for me. So hopefully it was helpful for you. Uh, and we journaled together. And then the last uh, four weeks have really felt like a resurrection into new places of freedom, into new places of life, into some greater revelation about how I'm wired and how I can walk a little bit more like Jesus. That's kind of been my lockdown experience. Uh, and so I can say he's good today as I stand up before you. And I know that many of you can give that same testimony. He's good because he's always doing something. If we let him, he's always doing something real good in our hearts. And so um, I want to start a new season, a new series today called The Burden is Light. Because even though that hasn't been my experience, particularly in the first, uh, first part of lockdown, it wasn't like, it wasn't, I was carrying a whole lot of other stuff that, that, wasn't, his bur- that wasn't his burden. I carried all sorts of other stuff and he's brought some freedom to me. Uh, and so I want to do the series where it's like, how can we continue to learn, uh, as Eugene Peterson says, the unforced rhythms of grace? to walk lightly and freely in a culture that just wants to overload us with all sorts of burdens. And so we're going to take, uh, we're going to take a journey exploring this. And it's uh, based from a book I've been reading uh, of the same title uh, called The Burden is Light by John Tyson. And, um, and so there's some of this, a lot of stuff I'm going to be pulling from this book. Uh, so if you want to read that uh, along with the series, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, but there'll be a bunch of other stuff that we're looking at as well. In Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is just so incredible. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a familiar passage if you've been in church for a while, and if you haven't, this is one of my favorites and probably a whole bunch of us. This is the, one, of the, one of the only times that Jesus talks about what his heart is like, and Jesus is the full revelation of what God is like, right? So God's heart is gentle and he's humble. How cool is that? That's just beautiful. 
get the worship team back up. Let's just go again. It's like it makes me just want to worship him. Like that's what he's like. He's humble in heart. But there's a couple of interesting things he says. He has come to me. So this is an invitation. It's not a. It's not like he's going to force you to do anything. It's always an invitation with Jesus. He respects your free will to a degree that will shock you. He totally, because he wants you to to choose, because real love is a choice. It's not something that you just have to do in response to his majesty and glory. Often he hides himself a bit. It's like, will you choose me? Will you still choose me? So he's like, come to me, come, come to me. And uh, and if you're weary and burdened, so that's if you're honest enough to to, to be, you know, to, to share how you really are. We love putting up our masks, eh? And uh, so come to me if you're weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Hallelujah. If there's ever a passage in the Bible that should be tattooed on all of us, it's this. Like, this is the one that we need to, like, we needed some Munger Mob style patches that says, if you come to Jesus, he'll give you rest. Like, that's what we need because that's such great news to a rushed and anxious and busy and stressed world. Come out of slavery and come into rest. Come out of where your worth is based from how many bricks you can make. And, you're, and it's all about what you can produce and, and how valuable you are in terms of what you do. And come to the one who says, just as you are, you are loved and you're accepted and you're wonderful and you're free and you can just rest in my loving arms. Hallelujah. What great news from gentle and humble in heart. And again, you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. One of the things that's been interesting about COVID, and I know we're all sick of talking about it, like I can just feel in the room, can we stop... <laughs> Like, let's just, there'll be a couple of sermons over the next, you know, 10 years, but we'll keep referring back to this, but uh, then we'll eventually settle down and stop talking about it. But the interesting thing about COVID, because it is a very interesting time, is that it has exposed uh, once more that, that any other foundation apart from Jesus will come back to bite us. Any other foundation in our life that is, that is not Jesus will come back to bite us. Now, whether people learn that lesson through COVID or not, um, it's up to us. But that is the reality, right? Like we're ticking along 2020, da-da-da, it's all going sweet. Then bang, we're not meeting as a church anymore. Bang, what's happening with your job? Bang, what's happening with the economic stuff? Bang, what's going to happen to our health? Blah, 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 right? I mean, that's how quick things can change. We were ticking along in Christchurch there for a while. Bang, earthquake, everything changes. And it's like all of these things, it's like if you put, if you worship anything else but Jesus, it will come back to bite you at some point in your life. It's just guaranteed to happen. And so uh, it's really interesting. There's an atheist named David Foster Wallace, and he says this. This is from an atheist, okay? Now I'm going to get to that in a second. But listen. But here's the thing that he says that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. (laughs) There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah or Yahweh or the Wicked Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some invaluable set of ethical principle, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. (laughs) 
on one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths and proverbs and cliches and parables and the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up in front in daily consciousness. This is an atheist, right? Spot on wisdom. Anything that we have as the foundation of our life that's not Jesus, anything we worship will eventually come back to bite us in the butt. And so Jesus keeps on standing before us saying, come to me, come to me, worship me, and you'll find rest. This will be the strong foundation to build your life so that when the storms come, and they will, Jesus never promised there wouldn't be storms, but when they come, let's make sure our foundation is built on Jesus. And then we'll be able to rest even through the storms. So one of the uh, ways that I want to explore this first up today is I want to talk about how Jesus wants to free us from the weight and the tyranny of comparison. Of comparison. One of the things that Jesus wants to, to set us free from is this whole thing of comparison. And this is uh, something we all struggle with to varying degrees, but the beauty is that as we follow Jesus, He can set us free from this so that we can live lives of deep gratitude, deep contentment, resting in our identity and the calling that He's given us. Um, you know, over lockdown again, this is probably amplified. Who just was envious of those who didn't have children over lockdown? Can I have uh, just a... Yes, even normally there's hesitancy about hands going up. There just was a bold move then. Uh, Ian, do you want to bring up this little slide? This is um, free time uh, during lockdown, depending whether you had kids or didn't have kids. Um, God bless you guys, eh? Those of you that just had so much freedom and just could like watch Netflix or do those home renos that you're always wanting to do or potter around. Just so grateful for you guys. Thanks for posting it on social media as well. Like that was awesome. Just really nice to see you just relaxed and stretched out and just uh. irony is that I think everyone uh, over lockdown probably had some comparison envy. I know people that were desperately lonely that would have loved some noise. You know? And it's like um, <laughs> as a pastor, you know, I've battled with comparison. When I talk really honestly with my pastor friends. Um, you know, there's this whole thing of comparison. It's like I look at other pastors and I'm like, man, I wish I could speak like that or lead like that. You know the main thing I wish? I wish I could like think structure like that. It's like our church is a little bit of a shambles and it's like I'm kind of responsible for that and I wish it wasn't. And it's like I really look at, I've got mates of mine that are pastors that are just uber organized systems for everything. I remember like poor Steve and June who come into this environment and they're trying to, just deal with no paper trails and just a real shambles. And um, I don't know what your profession is, right? But, but have you battled with that in your world where it's like you look at other people in your profession and you're like, oh man, I wish I was like that person. You know, we, we struggle with this in all sorts of different ways. Uh, we, we often compare ourselves and it's not normally to those that have less than us. Interesting, eh? Like we normally compare ourselves to other people who have more. I don't think I've ever heard someone ever say to me, oh man, just so glad I've got more money than the Harveys. Like, man, it just feels, feels real good. Or, um, which is pretty easy. Uh, you know, or, uh, man, you know, I'm glad I don't drive that car or whatever it may be. Of course not. We always compare ourselves to people that have more or seem more together. And, uh, and social media has made it so much worse. 
That's so much worse. Again, from John Tyson's book, he says, because we live in a constantly connected world, we are continually aware of the lives of others, the lives others are living around us. We are bombarded by a stream of images depicting leisure and travel and escape and sabbaticals and early retirement and cruises and road trips and graduations and promotions, parties and fun. Listen to this. To compare the monotony of our ordinary existence with this litany of the spectacular creates a deep sense of unrest and dissatisfaction with our own lives. That's true, eh? Isn't that true? And it's like, it's, it's very tricky. John Tyson actually contends that comparison is the root of most of the misery we feel in life. How's that for a statement? Tweet that one, man. Comparison is the root of most of the misery that we feel in our lives. You know what's super encouraging is that the Bible is filled with this very human issue that robs us of so much life and joy. The Bible's filled with the reality of this. And one of the, um, one of the classic examples of this is um, the relationship between Peter and John. Now, um, for those of you that you can remember, when we talked about um, the resurrection this year, we talked about the fact that John, who's super annoying because he always talks himself in the third per- about himself in the third person, right? Like, if you do that, can you stop? Like, it's just really annoying, okay? So here we go. Let's just clear that up. Um, you know, Harvey reckons the waves are sweet today. So I just, don't be an idiot. Just say, talk normal. But John's like... Oh, you know, and the beloved one. <laughs> and like in John chapter 20, when the disciples discover uh, that Jesus, uh, that the tomb is empty, there's three times that John, who's writing his own gospel, mentions that he bet Peter in a running race to the tomb. Three times. This is an event that changed history. This is the, this is the greatest event in the Christian theology. Like This is the apex. This is everything. And these scriptures are central to our faith and bombarded through the greatest moment in Christian literature is John reminding the world for 2,000 years that he bet Peter to a running race while he calls himself the beloved one who bet, you know, it's like, oh. So you've got this whole dynamic going on with Peter and John. And interestingly, what happens in the very next chapter in John 21, Jesus comes and ministers to Peter and restores him after he betrayed him three times. And Peter had gone back to fishing and um, we've explored this again over the last little while. Peter wasn't just going back for a cheeky fish in, in, the, uh, in the Greek there. He's like going back to this old job. Let's go back. Let's go back to what we used to do. Jesus comes back and, and three times says, feed my sheep. This is your calling. It's not catching fish. It's feeding sheep, Peter. My people, you're to serve and to love them. And he, and he says this three times to restore him from those three times he brutally portrayed Jesus, even though he promised he wouldn't. Just love the story, eh? Just filled with nitty-gritty reality human stuff. And then listen to this, John Chapter 21, Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you you wanted. This is the third time Jesus talks to him about this. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. There it is. And he saw that the disciple Jesus loved was following him. And this is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? I mean, just so humble all the way through this. And then when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? 
Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Uh, John Tyson. In the middle of Peter's gracious restoration, he was gripped by comparison with John. What about him, he asked. But Jesus wouldn't have it. In reply, Christ shot these powerful words across the bow of Peter's insecurity. What is that to you? You must follow me. Even in what should be the best moments of our lives, comparison lurks in the shadows, always seeking to exert itself and secure our worth at the expense of others. Here's Peter getting restored graciously by Jesus. And even in the middle of that, he's like, what about this guy? What's going to happen to him? You know, and he's comparing himself. Uh, Psalm 1430 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Income, house, lifestyle, body, status, family, job, wealth, all of those things. These are things that often we compare ourselves to others with. Uh, Again, John Tyson, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live lives of sacrificial love, but it's impossible to give our hearts and lives away to those whom we must be better, who must better in order to determine our worth. Comparison is the enemy of compassion. Comparison is the enemy of compassion. And so there is this beautiful life that God wants to invite us into that is freed from that sort of comparison. And honestly, over lockdown, friends, this has been one of the things the Lord has healed in some small way. There's a lifetime to go, and until I see see him face to face, that's when he'll bring the work to completion. Until then, it's going to be an ongoing journey. But one of the things that he's brought some freedom in my life with is this thing of comparison. And uh, and it's been deeply healing, and particularly um, when it comes to what does it look like to lead um, a successful church? This is getting real raw and honest now. How many pastors would go here? Uh, but honestly, one of the things that um, that Jesus has done is just in some small way, and it's, as I say, it's going to be going journey. It's like I'm content with our church. I love you guys, and I just I'm like, if it, and I now. God, I don't want to fall into another ditch here, but literally, if God, if this, if this is us until He comes back, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. That's cool. That's that's enough for me. Now the ditches, there's still a call to mission, and and an intention with that. I desperately want everyone in the bay to know this great good news that Jesus can give you rest and free you from comparison and all the other subjects we're going to look at over the next little while. Who doesn't, right? But you know what I mean, that ambition in your heart where you want your business to be smashing it or you want your kids to be smashing it or you want, you know, you're not happy with how much, you know, you're in it. Like, what if he just wants to free us so that we can just be really content with where we're at? And so here's three ways that uh, we can help uh, grow in the sense of being, of moving away from comparison and coming to a place of contentment. And can we actually hand out these? Uh, that's for that side. I've got three little piles there. That's the middle one, and that's there. So if you guys can just grab one and pass them along, you're getting some homework. Because um, here's the first thing: the first way that we can we can be freed from the, compa- the comparing spirit, from that whole thing of comparison, is to get more secure in our identity. In our identity, uh, this is who I am in Christ. Now, on this list, there's all sorts of um, there's all sorts of truths about who you are in Jesus. And so we're handing these out. 
Now, I've got three points, uh, three little uh, ideas about how to help move out of comparison. This is point one, and this is, and, and one of these in particular may resonate more deeply for you, where you're like, that's the thing I want to work on. Uh, so if, it's, if this is you, as I unpack this in a minute, then I want to invite you to take these home, to read through these, and to highlight maybe one or two where you're like, as I read this, I struggle to believe it. Does that make sense? As you read it, like there'll be certain things as you read this list where you're like, yes, I am accepted. I am God's child. Tick. I know that in my Noah. Deep down in my Noah, I know that I'm accepted and it's all good. And then the workday through the list, I am secure and I'm free from condemnation. Uh, don't know if that's true. Kind of, maybe, yeah, question mark. Uh, the highlight, that's the one I want to speak over my life so that more and more I can have an identity that is uh, in who I am in Christ. Often, we want to project who we are to people and manage that rather than live from a place of vulnerability and honesty about who we really are. Many of us are very afraid that if people saw us for who we really are, we would be rejected. We're fearful, and so we, have, we put a lot of energy into managing, into identity management. This is who I am. I'm this guy, I'm fun, or I'm, I'm clever, or I'm uh, whatever. And that's the stuff for posting on social media. And, that's the, and sometimes as, when we're really battling with this, the energy to go out and hang out with other people feels overwhelming because we don't have the emotional energy to put on that mask and to act like everything's like awesome. Everything is awesome when it's not, when everything is rubbish and I'm feeling kind of lame and it's like, and this is where Jesus over time will want to help us come to a place where we wisely let ourselves be known. Now, it's not about, I'm not walking around just revealing, spilling my guts to every single person in the world. But I've got great friends like Luke Buxton who have seen me in my weakest moment, who have seen my flaws and have seen my failures, where we can talk honestly about lots of stuff. And, I, and you know what I love about my friendship with Luke is I feel known. I feel known and I'm still loved by him. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Supremely, it's Jesus. We can play games with each other, but Jesus sees through it. He knows you for who you really are, your insecurities, your failures, your naughty habits, the, th the things you really think, all of that. He, he sees it and he loves you still. How cool is that? Worship team back up. Hallelujah, you're worthy, Lord, we worship you. Isn't it amazing? It's just so cool. This is who we are in Jesus. But often we want to project the identity of who we want to be rather than having the courage to be honest about who we really are. Pretending to be doing well, posting only images of fun and glamour and excitement on social media, telling only the parts of our story that preserve our glowing image. And these are kind of like a modern armour protecting our fragile hearts. We're terrified to be seen for who we are, where we are, and what we are actually struggling with. And so, as you can see on this quote up here, a fast from comparison and a feast on biblical identity could move your life into a place of freedom and delight. The burden is light with Jesus. Will you come to him? Will you be honest? And will you begin to have a fast from comparison and feast on biblical identity? 
I'm, so the action point out of this is that if there's some stuff on this list that you're like, I don't know if I believe that, can I encourage you to memorize it and to feast on it? To feast on it, to say, to speak it over yourself. How are you transformed by the renewing of your mind? I'm going to change the way I think about who I am in Jesus. Let's soak in this stuff and it's going to lead us into a place of great freedom where the burden is light. The second point is to be free from the burden of comparison is actually to to respond to God's call on your life rather than live for the expectations of others. To to respond to the call of God on your life rather than live for the expectations of others. Often people can go down a career path. Next slide, please, Ian. Um, Do we have the next? Oh, yes. There it is. Okay, we've got a big quote here, but um, we'll talk about that in a second. Sorry, Ian. Well, Well in front of me. It's someone pointing at the screen. I was like, um, I don't know if you've seen this and maybe you've lived it, but it's like people that go and earn degrees and, tr- and go down a career path and something that they're not that actually passionate about or interested in. And they're doing that either because of the appearance expectations or they're doing that because they want to earn good money or they're doing that. And it's like their soul just starts dying because it's actually not something that God's called them to. It's something that they're doing because of expectations of others. Um, and so the, the, the million-dollar question is, what is your calling, right? What has God called you to? Uh, the Hebrews 11 says, we run the race marked out for us. There is a race marked out for you, and guess what? It's not my race. It's your race. You know, for a whole lot of my life, I was trying to run a race that wasn't my race to run, Guess what? I'm not Martin Smith from Delirious, it turns out. I'm not Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine. I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm not super organised pastor. I'm Sam. And like there's certain things that there's, there's a grace on my life. There's a calling on my life. So I want to run with perseverance the race marked out for me. There's, like, you know, there's that saying, stick to your lane. You know, stick to your lane, mate. It's true. Now, obviously, the way people use that as a bit of a club on social media is horrible. (laughs) But the reality in Jesus is that there is a grace and calling on your life. And there is enormous freedom when we just say, yes, yes, that's who I am meant to be. And you know what? Supremely and whatever calling we may have that's unique to us, the universal call on anyone following Jesus is that we would live a life of love that we would live a life of love. Love your workmates, love your family, love those that annoy you, love those that hurt you. It may be outworked in a million and one different ways, but that's the calling of a Jesus follower is to live a life of love. Do we get it perfect? Of course not. Coming back to the table right now. (laughs) I'm the first to admit, man, I've made lots of mistakes. My desire is to live a life of love, but I make mistakes. So I love, again, the Lord because of His grace and His mercy. I run to the table. I remember the cross where I'm forgiven for those times where I didn't live a life of love. But, but ultimately, I want to live a life of love. However, my calling gets outworked. And so that should be reflected in our social media feed and the comments that we write on Twitter and <coughs> um, our emails. But most importantly, get this, in the dialogue that runs in your head. Right? (laughs) 
Hallelujah, lifelong journey. Let's just remind ourselves of that. He's in the business of transforming us from glory to glory. We don't have, to, you know, it's not overnight, but it will happen as Rachel Hunter says and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, how I've got a long way to go. Lord, and again over COVID, Lord, I want the internal dialogue in my head to be one of love. Help me to walk in a life of love. But then uh, there is this sense where it is super helpful when we get clear about uh, where the grace is on our life. Where the grace, again, this comparison thing, again, picking on Luke again. Luke's just awesome at DIY. Do you know how annoying? <laughs> do you know how annoying that is for friends of his that aren't good at DIY? Come on, Ross, give me an amen over here. Right? It's like, Luke's just amazing. He is one of those guys over lockdown, he'll, he built a deck in a pergola. See, I'm not freed from comparison yet, it turns out. I can feel the, feel the, Coonrad and his mechanical skills. Again, the organisation skills of the Bradleys. I can't dance like Jen. I tricked her into marrying me, pretending we would dance a whole lot, and then we did get married, and she discovered it's just an absolute dream that may never be fully realised because it's almost an unbearable feeling. And do I wish I could dance like Jen? Yes, of course I could wish like I could dance like Jen. I've watched YouTube videos of guys that can dance really well. Yeah, I'd love to be that guy. There's not a grace on my life, okay, to be a dancer. And so the more that I can just go, okay, I may work my little tail off by going to dance classes, and I did. And in fact, <laughs> random story, before we got married, me and Gemma, Andy's wife, um, were flatting together. And because I wanted to be a good dancer in life, and because I probably had my eyes on Gemma, I said, Gemma, how about, because we're just platonic friends, how about we go to dance classes? And so we went to dance classes, and I wound up clapping her around the head and nearly knocking her out. So... <laughs> Anyway, we're going to have ministry at the end of this, and I'm going to be the first up there. And honestly, guys, so much of our frustration, I think, comes from two things. Firstly, we're desperately trying to be somebody God hasn't called us to be. And you know, like, there's a grace on your life, and you can tell there's a grace on your life because you love doing it, and people love it when you do it. Now, sometimes we love doing it and people don't like it when we do it. I've met lots of those folks and I've probably been that guy a few times myself. And it's like, <laughs> cool that you like it, bro, but no one really likes it when you do it. You know, that's probably not the grace on your life. Let's find some other stuff, right? But when you're good at it and you love doing it and people love it when you do it, it's like that's a good indication that there's a grace on your life for that particular thing. And... Um, and, and the second thing is to make peace with the fact that this is who we are. This is who we're graced to be. And that's enough. Why do we always compare ourselves to the person? You know, Jesus actually said when on the parable of the talent, some people got 10 talents, some people got five talents, some people got one talent. And that's just true in life, right? I have a certain speaking gift. I'd say two and a half talents, Right? Not been beating myself up here, but I hear some people speak and I'm like, 10 talent, unbelievable. I can't believe you can do that. Super annoying. Just, just effortless. My friend Cy Rogers, who passed away recently, effortless. 10 out of 10 on the speaking talent thing. Now, there's a grace on my life to speak, right? Hopefully you guys enjoy it because I enjoy because <laughs> I enjoy doing it, right? But, but it's like, I've got to make peace. I'm not a tally evangelist. I've got 10 people watching me right now. It's awesome. Put your hand on the screen if you want some healing and send me some money. But it's like, but it's like, 
that's just, there's a grace. And like, I'm free. I feel free. As I said, if this is the entirety of my audience for the rest of my life, hallelujah, that's good enough for me because that's where He's graced me and I can be free from trying to live someone else's race. And I don't know what it looks like for you in your space, but how about we just go, Lord, bring greater revelation to where you've graced me and called me so that I can be freed from this burden of comparison. And in the midst of it, then I can actually start loving because comparison is the, how can I love someone I'm in competition with? We're not in competition. You know, uh, the heroes for me in, in Calcutta, you know, I think Mother Teresa is a hero, but I tell you, it's all the nuns whose names we do not know. Those are the real heroes doing the same work with no, no applause from society. What if we don't get applause from society, but we get heaven's applause? Would that be enough for us? Would that be enough that we, we, we die to the dream of significance in the eyes of others and just, and just walk in the grace that he's given for us? And even if it's to be a nobody, as far as the world's concerned, we hear the applause of heaven as we faithfully run our race before the Lord. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound freeing? Isn't this what the Lord wants us to do? And so be free. Be free. Be, be free to be a great mum without having to do millions of other things. Be free to do your job and just love folks as you do it. Just be free to be that teacher, to be that plumber, to be that candlestick maker, and just let's be free and just love folks as we go. Amen? Quote up there, Jesus was saying, blah, blah. Oh, that's it. Peter was saying, uh, Jesus was saying, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? The proof of your worth as a fisherman. If you do, stop going back to fishing and feed my sheep. I've called you to be a shepherd. I've called you to love and care for my people. I know your shame calls you back to the place you feel at home, but my love calls you to be a shepherd, to care for others. Your call is not to cast nets into deep water. Your call is to cast the gospel into the darkness of this world. Instead of catching fish, you will be caught up in a story of love and redemption and grace. Feed my sheep with the good news of grace. Embrace your call as a shepherd. So the action point out of this is just to grow in greater clarity about where the grace is on our lives and to be content with that. Thirdly and lastly is gratitude. Gratitude. In a book called A View from the Ridge, a guy called Morris West suggested at a certain age our lives simplify and we need have only three phrases left in our spiritual vocabulary. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To, to be grateful and to practice gratitude is to focus on the many blessings in my life today. To focus on what we have, not on what we think we lack. I've mentioned this a few times, but one of the spiritual disciplines, and it is a spiritual discipline, that I've been um, chipping away at is a gratitude journal. And I don't do it every day, but... Um, probably two or three times a week in my devotional times, I'll take out my little thing and I'll write down five things I'm grateful for. And because and I want to train myself to be grateful for what I have rather than constantly comparing myself and being discontent about what I don't have. So it's, it's renewing my mind. I am transforming by, I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. So I'm writing down these things. And man, it's awesome. It's so cool. And I can feel my mind starting to change. It's going to take a few more years to really get it bedded in. But what if I'm looking around constantly going, oh, man, I'm so lucky. 
Look at this hoodie. It's lasted about 10 years. It's amazing. What an amazing hoodie. It's got a little hole up here that happened somehow, but I'm really grateful. that These shoes, I didn't even have to pay for these shoes. Some guy died and my dad got them and I just managed to get these sweet-ass Nike shoes and like you can just go on and on and on and it's like everything's a gift. Everything's grace. Every breath is grace. Every flower is grace. Every tree is grace. That car you drive, even if it's a bit rubbish, well, thank you, Lord, I've got some wheels. This is amazing. You know, on and on you go. You know how beautiful life can get when we're just grateful for what we have. You know, just down to things like as you wash your hands, the feeling of water. Wow. Imagine getting to that point. I know a guy like this. At McDonald's. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) It feels great, right? Because we're just all distracted everywhere else. Just be grateful for every moment. Right now, we're in church. And like all around the world, all the people would love to be doing this. Hallelujah. Man, we are the luckiest people in the world. It's blessed out of our tree. This is great. We had to go have some lunch. Isn't food awesome? The food's just awesome. Just everything about food is awesome. Bouncy coming, just the list goes on and on and on. Ronald Rollheiser says this Gratitude is the basis of all holiness. The holiest person you know is the most grateful person you know. And that is true for love. The most loving person you know is also the most grateful person you know because even love finds its basis in gratitude. Anything we call love but that is not rooted in gratitude will at the end of the day be manipulative and self-serving. If you love... Uh, if you love and service of others does not begin in gratitude, we will end up carrying people's crosses and sending them the bill. There's a lot of depth in that. Um, He goes on to say, the highest compliment we can give a gift giver is to enjoy the gift thoroughly. We owe it to our creator to appreciate things, to be as happy as we can be. Life is meant to be more than a test, and so we might add this to our daily prayer. Give us today our daily bread, and help us to enjoy it without guilt. That's cool. I mean, that's fantastic. God has given you gift after gift after gift after gift. And the best thing you can do to say thank you to God is to enjoy that gift. The gift of life, the gift of friendship, the gift of food, the gift of nature, the gift of surfing, the gift of music, the gift of great sound systems, the gift of whatever it may be for you, the gift of those tools that you've got that you can make, the gift of the, and to be grateful for it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving me all of this and help me to enjoy it without guilt. What a line. What a great line. Lord, let it be so. Let it be so. Craig Rochelle said the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. We can have this moment like, oh man, this is a really nice lunch, but I, I bet you Sharon's making something even better, <laughs> you know, which is definitely true <laughs> in our house anyway. Um, the, 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 the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. That is so true. That is so true. And so, so, so the three things that I'm suggesting to help us move out of a, a life of comparison, and I can just even feel as we've been talking, the, the revelation of how much comparison is our default. It's like, as we've been talking, it's like, oh, yeah, you know. No, you always start a similar, it's like, oh, I'm not sure that much, was it? And then by, you know, oh, geez, geez, my predominant worldview is comparing, comparison worldview. What if we lived in identity, who we are in Jesus? That just brings freedom. In our calling, this is who I'm called to be. This is what I'm called, and this is where I'm graced and gifted. And thirdly, lived out of gratitude. 
like we don't jump from living a life of comparison to a life of contentment without really establishing these things in our lives. Clear identity, clear sense of calling, and clear sense of gratitude. Then we come to a place where we can be content in all circumstances, in all seasons, no matter whether we're smashing it or not. And guys, at the end of the day, the pay's the same. One day we're going to see him face to face. One day we're going to be with him. One day this world will be renewed and restored and the glory of God will cover this earth like the waters cover the sea. Heaven and earth reunited once more like it was in Genesis 1 and this time it's a city, not a garden. Revelation 21, 22. That's the great hope that we have. And this life, like a breath. And I'm, I'm tired of living my way down, burdened. I want to, I'm like over lockdown, I'm just, prayer, which is why we're doing this season, Lord, teach me. I'm coming to you, teach me. I want to learn of you what it looks like to take your yoke upon me because you said your burden is easy, uh, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord, what does that look like? And then he just begins to put his finger on the comparison, bring some revelation. Ooh, okay. <laughs> what, could that, what, what does it look like to be freed from that? And then just begin to step into this. And guys, it feels awesome. It feels awesome. Like, yep, tough season in lots of ways with COVID and all sorts of other stuff going on, but it's like I feel more content and peaceful and joyful in my soul than I've ever felt in my life probably. And it's like that's a little scary for Jen because it's like I'm a grumpy guy 99% of the time, but it's like, hey, I'm getting better. <laughs> We're tracking in the right direction, baby. And it's like, oh, thank you, Lord. And that's what he wants for every one of us. The reason you're here today is because deep down you have the suspicion that Jesus is who he says he is, that you want to put your faith in him, you want to trust him, and he's the one that wants to lead you into life. And the more that we do that, the more we become living gospels, living good news. That's what we need in the church. I'm, I, love, I love our evangelists, but I want everyone to be a living gospel about living a life filled with love and joy and peace. Because otherwise it's just a horrible theology that says we want to save people from, from eternal conscious torture or some horrible thing like that. No, he has come. Heaven is breaking into earth now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, bring us to life in you now as we follow you, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who leads us into life. Rant over. Let's stand together and pray and then let's go jump on some bouncy castles.